Blog Talk Radio. Hey guys, this is Brett Claywell, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. This is Linda Dano. I'm on Brandon's Buzz, and I have to tell you, what a fun hour I just had. Ah, oh, this is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hi, this is Beth Maitland. And this is Joel Brooks. And we're on Brandon's Buzz. We're buzzing with Brandon. We are. We're buzzing with Brandon. So tune hey, in. Hey, this is Nicholas Rodriguez. You are listening to Brandon's Buzz. Be prepared to laugh. You're going to have a good time. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. This is Pamela K. Long, and I am buzzing with Brandon. And I can tell you that it's some of the most fun that you'll have. So you need to tune this in. This is Gloria Loring, and I've just been buzzed by Brandon, and I gave Brandon some buzz. This is Maya Bialik, and you are lucky enough to be listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hey guys, and welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon. It is Wednesday, November 18th, 10 p.m. in the east, 7 p.m. out west, 9 p.m. here in Texas, and uh, it's a great night here on Brandon's Buzz, and I've got a great friend of mine who has become quite the regular here at the Buzz, and I am so thrilled to have her back on the show. You know, my guest tonight is one of my favorite people on the whole planet. Using her sophisticated and outrageous nom de plume, Marlena de la Croix, she was instrumental in introducing and perfecting the art of modern soap opera criticism with her peerless column, Critical Conditions, which made its debut inside the pages of Soap Opera Weekly 20 years ago this week. That magazine has strayed far away from what its founders intended it to be, but the Marlena legacy gloriously endures with typical panache on a hilarious website which bears her name, and on the occasion of her 20th anniversary, her brilliant creator has returned to the buzz to reminisce and to offer up Boku Bonmos about her two decades trying to keep the soaps honest. What a terrific thrill to welcome back to my show tonight the astute, the amazing Connie Pasolacqua Heyman. Hi, Brandon, and merci Boku for that fabulous introduction. That's the, I haven't learned any more French in 20 years, but I, I just um, I, I just want to say I'm thrilled to be here, and it's amazing, amazing that it's been 20 years since. Marlena Lacroix was born, and of course, Soap Opera Weekly, which is, you know, a historic publication in soap opera journalism. Absolutely. You know, first of all, the intro was well-deserved. You've been one of my favorite people for as long as I can remember, and, you know, it's it's so amazing to me that I get to talk to you and, you know, chat with you, and if you had told me five years ago that I would actually get to speak with you, (laughs) it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I'm thrilled to have you back on the show for the fourth time to discuss this, that, and whatever crosses our minds. Great, great, Brandon. I'm always thrilled to talk to you. So it's the it's the 20th anniversary of the magazine, and, you know, we should kind of get this out of the way at the outset. They've published an anniversary tribute in this week's issue uh-huh. that kind of looks back on the past two decades of soaps in a very cursory manner, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Uh-huh. But, it, you know, it kind of glosses over the past two decades of the magazine's history. And, you know, while I understand that not many people are aware of the names of of staff members and editors of the publications they read, there's an entire generation of soap fans who revered this magazine and what it accomplished in its heyday, and I'm one of them. I, you know, what, I think what you guys created was a breathing, evolving archive of the events of the day and what they meant. And, it, you know, it's proven to be an invaluable tool to me when I'm researching and preparing for episodes of this show, one of the hallmarks of which has become my chats with former soap stars. And 
You know, I can't tell you how many times I, I pull down all the old magazines and, you know, look back at past interviews and, and uh, you know, storyline recaps and all of it that you guys covered. And I, to me, I think it would have been nice to have at least seen, you know, a thank you or an acknowledgement section or something to people like Mimi Torchin and, you know, Janet DeLauro and you and all the great reporters and photographers who created a true classic which celebrated the industry warts and all. Well, it's funny, you know, I have been planning for the last couple of weeks to write my own 20th anniversary, you know, because I was there, and I know a lot, you know, most of history, at least for the first 11 years, and I do read the magazine now, because I read all the periodicals, and I was, like, really surprised to see what they did. I was not very pleased, not very you know, pleased. It, it, it's four pages that kind of glosses over two, and I know, I know it's hard, you know, you can't take the entire length of the magazine and cover the past two decades, but... You know, they, they tried to squeeze it all into four or six pages, and it's, it's I don't know, it's disappointing to say the least. Well, you know, self-publishing isn't what it was 20 years ago. You know, we, we were a huge hit, and uh, there are many reasons for that. The market was different, and, um, oh, my goodness, soaps are so much better, and there were so many, you know, there were so many self-publications. There's not really a lot of, uh, you know, what are there, like three self-publications uh-huh. now? But in terms of, you know, what they did, I just thought that it was um, not very nice, and I thought it just harkened back to, you know, the days that I think a lot of us wanted to forget when we left. And um, what could I say? Read my columns, and you will get the straight scoop, as always. MarlenaDelacroix.com. Everybody go check it out. It's, it's, it's really a fun, great read and, and very informative. Can I just add one thing? You may. I I thought that, you know, I thought the magazine had improved lately, and I had written that. And um, the woman who is the managing editor now, Gabby Winkle, mm-hmm. she's the only one left from our original staff, and she's a great gal, and I just respect her very much. You know, I don't know. I don't think it I, I have no idea what happened, but, you know, I, I just am disappointed because they have made such an improvement, and to backslide like this is, is, is what really bothers me. You know, I think they've made an improvement as well. They, they've kind of, you know, Soap Opera Weekly got very kind of sensationalistic for a while, and they, it was, it was, the cover of it was like looking at Star or Globe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've backed away from that. They've come back to journalism. They, they've come back to, you know, interviewing the stars, interviewing the writers, and, 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 you know, it's still a far cry from what it was when Mimi was at the, was at the helm, but it's, it's still a massive improvement from its kind of nadir. I think it is. You know, as I said, you know, putting out a soap opera public publication now is so different, you know, than it was when we were around. I mean, they've got the Internet to deal with. They've only got, like, how many, seven or eight shows? We had, like, 14. And what could I say? But I just think it was very bad, very bad manners on their on their part. You know, freedom of speech and soap wasn't always great. <laughs> That's a line I made up after I wrote my column. But it's true. You know, I think the, I think the most telling thing about this anniversary issue, quote, unquote, is that, uh, on the cover of it is a huge picture of Vampire Diaries. Uh, well, I think, you know, they have to do that every yeah. once in a while. <laughs> you know, every once in a while to, I don't know, you know, through, uh, they, they've done that. I mean, I wasn't there when they started doing the nighttime stuff, but, uh-huh. you know, they've done that periodically through the years. You know, it's so uh, odd, though, when, when, you're, when you're walking through the store and you look at Soap Opera Weekly and they've got things like American Idol on the cover. or Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. I know. What could I say? I'm probably like the only person on earth who really doesn't watch very, prime, very much prime time television. After all these years, I'm still a daytime girl. So, you know, I know we've talked about this before, but but uh, just refresh our memories. How did this job come to you? Was was this 
Was this Mimi's idea, or did you come up with this? What, what was the inception of this? Internal was no job to come to you. <laughs> um, I had been in the field for 10 years before that. I had been an editor of this magazine called The Afternoon TV, and um, I knew Mimi from years before that. We had worked at the same company even before that, yeah, a company that put it like daytime TV. And, you know, we had both been in the field, and at that point I had written for like 10,000 soap magazines, and I was also writing for like real magazines like Red Book and – a feature syndicate, I was writing all kinds of TV, and, you know, I was kind of like New York Queen of Freelance. You know, Michael Logan is in a magazine. There were, like, so many soap magazines, and they started this one, mm-hmm. and it was new in the fact that it was weekly. You know, all the other ones have been bi-weekly, and mm-hmm. I think or it was a monthly, even, yeah. Or monthly, yeah, the afternoon TV was a monthly, and, um, you know, there had also had been a newsletter at that point that had been weekly, but, you know, I... Um, as I said, I had written for everyone, and I think Mimi actually said, well, you know, why don't you come and, you know, write a critical column for me every other week. And I said, well, okay, why not? You know, because I had written for everyone, you know, and I would actually written one critical column once before for a, a magazine that Michael Logan had called uh, Soap Opera People. So that's pretty much how it started, and then it just kind of exploded from there. You know, I can well imagine that when she when she decided to start a weekly magazine that, that several of detractors said, well, there's not enough news in any given to, you know, cover a whole magazine. Uh, do you know anything about? Yeah, I do know because she wasn't, you know, at the time there were other people who wanted to do weeklies too. There was another one that was proposed and it never came to be. Certainly at the time there was plenty of news, plenty, plenty of news. As I said, there were lots of soaps. They were doing great. There was lots of news. There was lots to write about. I mean, it, it was just wonderful. It was the right people at, you know, in the right place at the right time and people who really decided to get creative and truthful. Did you actually work at the building with everyone or would you kind of file your columns from anywhere and everywhere? No, no, no. I actually worked at home because at that time, um, you know, I was freelancing. I was doing like a hundred little things and I was pretty much a full-time writer. I did not want to be an editor in an office. So I always worked at home. But I, in the beginning, that was before computers. I would go over there like once a week <laughs> with my little type copy. And, wow. You know, the, you know, I mean, that was a long time ago. And, you know, I would visit and hang out with it, you know, for a while with everyone. Uh-huh. So, um, no, but I, as I said, I would always be there in the first couple of years every week. And, you know, I would see them go to the parties and stuff and talk to them, God knows, all the time. Early on in Critical Condition, a girl wrote in asking for advice on breaking into your business, and <laughs> you, you basically told her to run in the other direction. Uh, oh, I read that. That was funny, because years <laughs> later, that same girl, her, her name was Liz Velick, right? Yes, I remember, yes. But she wrote to me years ago at the current at the current um, column, you know, at my column, and it was so much fun, because, you know, she was like 17 then, and I got... Uh-huh. You know, that, that's the real joy of being Marlene is getting to know all the fans and knowing them all these years. You know, so many of them have become my friends. But Absolutely. I think at the time, you know, I was just, you know, I, you know, I think that when you're a professional, it takes a long time to learn how to be confident. And also, you know, there was a lot of bad politics in soap, as there still is. But I'm not sorry. And God knows everyone else in the world tried to write the same kind of column as me. So she was on the right track, I think. Seriously, though, how cutthroat was the soap press business back then? I mean, <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons I worked at home because I just didn't want to be honest. It wasn't cutthroat; it was just competitive. Okay. 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 And also, um, it was also professional. You have to remember that compared to today, compared to bloggers, we were paid. It was yes. professional. You had to be a professional journalist. Uh-huh. And you know, we all—it was our jobs, our careers, and you know, we loved it. I mean, how many people? paid very well to do what they love. 
you know, sit in your house for 11 years and just write about anything you want about shows that you love to write about. I was the luckiest girl in the world, really. Absolutely. You know, you went on to advise her in that in that same uh, letter response. You went on to advise her to read and travel and live life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, because those experiences would prove invaluable in learning how to think critically about the world. And I, and I still feel, feel that way because, you know, I did that. I mean, I watched soaps my whole life, and I went to college, and I went out, and, I, I you know, I did many things. And I think just when I started working at Soap for Weekly, that's when I decided I wanted to be a deeper writer than just writing star interviews. Or, mm-hmm. I love writing star interviews, but I wanted to think about what I was writing, and that really opened up, you know, and I have to really thank, critical condition for basically giving me the chance over the years to be a thinking, creative journalist. And that was invaluable and really changed my life. And my view of the soaps, too, because once you start thinking about them instead of taking them at face value, wow. (laughs) And that's kind of what I wanted the column to be, and I, I, I think I succeeded over the years. And, you know, the funny thing was that was around the same time that that people were starting to get wise to the fact that, you know, there were actual people behind the scenes making these decisions, writing these shows, writing these stories, hiring these actors. I mean, you know, I think for the longest time, people just thought these shows kind of appeared out of the ether, you know. it's Well, I, I, actually, I have a little correction for that. Um, in the 70s, there was a magazine called Daily TV Serials that this uh, uh, really great editor who I work for named John Michael Reed started, and I think he did start that because he, you know, started to run little critical reviews and also, when I did afternoon TV, you know, we did that too. We had a we had a critic. We had two critics, John Genovese and Linda Sussman. Linda Sussman was later an editor of oh, yeah. Soap Opera Weekly, and we did articles about the writers all the time. And you know, we so it started before that, really. But I think Soap Opera Weekly really popularized it. Absolutely, they seriously brought it into the mainstream. Right. Yeah. And and you know, when I had been at afternoon TV, I was very lucky because I began to know a lot of the people. To, you know, backstage because we used to do these awards and we got to know like the, I got to know the Marlin, Agnes Nixon. You know, I, I really got to know a lot of these writers and producers before it was the chic thing to do online, you know. And and I did actually know them, and it was just thrilling to know them and to watch the soaps at the same time to see, like, who they were and compared to what they wrote. It was just really a wonderful, wonderful time for me. And, you know, I could tell you things now about them. And, um, oh, I bet. <laughs> you know, no, no, but I mean, like, not terrible things, good things. You know, I really admired many of them. I mean, I've met all of them. And, you know, as I said, you could really see a lot then you could. Now, not as much. But then, you know, you could really see a lot in their thoughts because they had more leeway then to write what they want. Now it's very hard if you're a soap writer to write what you want because they were doing well then, you know. They didn't have a network of checks on them. Although, you know, a lot of people who I knew then are around now, like Mr. Brian Franz, who I knew very well, and uh, Ms. Jill Farrenfeld, who I knew. So it's like, hey, you know, we've all been in this for a long, long time. So here's here's a, a great quote from a column you wrote on the first anniversary of Soap Opera Weekly. Issue date was November 27, 1990, and the column was Happy Anniversary Weekly. Uh-huh. Uh, and you say, in the past 10 years, I've worked for eight, count them, eight, soap publications, <laughs> two of which are still in business. Uh-huh. I've worked for soap publications secretly owned by bookies and pornographers, no kidding. <laughs> That's true. The real reason I love doing this column isn't to write about myself, it's simply to write. Analysis and criticism are the hardest kinds of writing, but I believe both are the most original and rewarding. I said that in 1990. Wow, that's great. I didn't. I have. I didn't get to see that column. You see, yeah. I. You see, basically, I was learning as I went along, and it was just 
so rewarding. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. You know, and again, it's not about bitching and moaning. <laughs> no, seriously, it wasn't just about opinionating into the air. It was about thinking. You know, it was about analyzing. And to me, that was just like the greatest writing experience. And I, as you know, I'm a journalism professor, and I teach this to my students all the time. I've taught it for years. You know, when you when you talk, do your students know who you are? I mean, do you? No, they were born. The ones that I have yeah, this year were born in so were born in 1990. Isn't that yeah. scary? <laughs> so they're celebrating their own 20th anniversary. That's right. Yeah. Some are even younger, actually. But, uh, do you ever run across anybody in your in your classroom setting who knows who you are? I remember the first time somebody discovered me. It was like years ago. I was teaching this high school workshop at NYU, and this very smart kid, you know, that one of Google came in and he looked me up and he said, "Oh, are you Marlena Delacroix, self critic?" And I said, "Uh oh." <laughs> My cover is blown. You know, every semester I do talk about it uh, starting at some point. And, again, you know, I've done so many soap opera stories that I do talk about it in class. Whenever I teach an interview class, I always talk about the first time I interviewed Paul Roush. And I have so many fabulous interview stories that, you know, people I've interviewed, you know, over the years that I do use them as examples in class. Do you ever do you ever talk to your students about soaps? I mean, do you ever, do you ever poll your students and, and figure out who, if anybody watches soaps still? I mean, do you? Well, it's changed a lot over the years. When I first started, people were still watching General Hospital. This is 1995. They were still watching General Hospital in days. And um, later on, um, a lot of them watched Passion. Very interesting because they were young. Mm-hmm. And now, very not many people watch anything. It's funny to think that you have access to, you know, this great little kind of microcosm, this great little focus group of, of sorts. It's oh, that's why I love teaching. I mean, just just being in touch with young people is, is so it's rewarding. It's it really is. I love teaching, and I love teaching college. For the first year and a half or so of of the magazine's existence, Critical Condition only ran every other week. Was you that know, a year when, and a half? Uh, it was. It was around that. It may be fifteen, sixteen months. Right. What precipitated the change to a weekly format? Was it? Well, I think it was sad because um, the the person who was alternating. I think there were two people who were alternating with me, and one of them was a very great friend of mine named Christopher Shemmering who wrote a book called The Soap Opera Encyclopedia, and he died. Sure. He passed away at a very young age, so they needed to, you know, to have someone every week. And they asked me, and I said, oh, okay. You know, and Chris Shemmering was a great person. He loved As the World Turns, and he was a very, very much a Marlena supporter. He was like my first fan, and I loved <laughs> him very much. You know, he wrote a he wrote a great anniversary book about Guiding Light, which I... I have it, yes. Which I stumbled across in a used bookstore years ago, and it's it's one of the... When I had Pam Long on here a couple of months ago, it was it was one of the greatest resources to go back and, and you know thumb through all the old stories and all the old interviews and it was a really great book. Yeah, Chris was not in the soap press. He lived in Virginia. He did all his work on his own, and he was like I was thrilled to be friends with him. He was just as I said, he was just you know he really knew very much about soaps and he thought about it in a very serious way. And he wasn't like part of the you know the people here in New York. And uh-huh. when he passed away, it was so sad. So. Tell me if this is still true and if and where across the daytime landscape you still manage to find these things. Okay. This is from uh, uh, May 15th, 1990. Forget the Emmys. Here come the Marlenas. <laughs> You're right. I crave more than anything originality, especially in the storytelling department. I crave intelligence. I crave acting that is new and different and real. I crave anyone or anything that shows a real sense of humor. I crave Ron Moss's cheekbones. <laughs> Is and all of that still true? And if and and uh, uh, where and if do you find those things across the 
across the soap landscape these days. Oh, my God, that seems so long ago. Well, first of all, in those days, we had the leeway to crave originality. Days originality means, you know, murdering your brother <laughs> or, you know, shooting – you know, shooting a woman and 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 standing over the body bag—that is to me is not originality. That is disgusting. In those days, originality meant doing an AIDS story, doing a story about an older woman, doing a story about a you know a family that lived on a farm. So that's why I craved it then. Now the originality that I see now, except for certain things like, for example, the one like Felicity Wedding, which was fabulous, and the. Mm-hmm. You know, the Kish story, which is original and wonderful, but I, I don't really, there's not a lot of room for it right now, but, um, yeah, I still do, but I don't think there's a lot of room for it now. And the rest of it definitely, um, uh, what else was there? Originality, humor? Uh, we have humor, acting that is new and different and real, and right. You know, occasionally you see acting that is new and different and real, and that's one of the great things about daytime is that no matter what happens with the stars, you will always get new actors in. And you, there, there will always be someone new and different. You know, like I love, oh, God, you're going to have to help me with some of these names. But Drew, who plays Michael on General Hospital, I just Oh, think, yeah, uh, Drew Garrett is his name. He is fantastic. And um, I just think he's wonderful. And when you get somebody new and fresh and like that who's so talented, you know, no matter what's happening, it just really renews your, your spirit and you really almost want to watch again. And isn't it amazing? I mean, they threw him into the deep end of the pool immediately with the heavyweights, and, and he managed to, you know, uh, come to a swim immediately. I mean, he, Well, he's a very talented guy, and I think, you know, he's young, and he goes to a uh, – I've read that he goes to a high school in Los Angeles as a performing arts school. So he probably has a lot – I don't – I have to said I haven't interviewed him in the old days. I probably would have interviewed him right away. But, you know, he's, he's just fantastic, and they, they really put the weight of the world on his shoulders, which is what folks do. You know, and that's how the stars are born. And I, and you know, I was very privileged over the years, as you are, Brandon. I'm sure to see a lot of these people start and become huge stars. Sure. You know, we, I was going to talk about that later, but since you mentioned, I mean, you, you, you did something every year called the the Summer Rookie Report, and right. so uh-huh. you were one of the first people to talk about people like Ryan Phillippe and. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, Nathan Fillion, Josh uh-huh. Dumel, Monty right. Sharp. Yeah, that was a pleasure because in, for some reason, I guess in the eight, you know, in the nineties, they would bring the young people on in the summer and it was, oh, it was heaven. It was just heaven to evaluate people. And I looked back to a lot of those columns and it's interesting how many people did become stars and, and some you never heard again, you heard of again. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that one of the great thrills of your job was exactly what you said, you know, having a widely read forum in which you could shine your spotlight on what you deem to be exciting young talent? Well, it was for me, you know. It excited me. I wasn't trying to be a star maker as so many, um, I think, soap journalists have, have been, you know, recently. But it was just like, wow, isn't this person talented? Look at all their people because an actress' talent is what used to make soaps great. They would just have the same stories, and then they would write for their talent. You know, the great writers wrote for actors' talents and, and, and elucidated them. And, you know, when someone came on, it was like, oh, my God, let's write great stuff for them. And I think they did that for, you know, Sarah Michelle and just so many people over the years, Josh. And, you know, just going back, you know, Maureen Garrett and, and oh, just, every, you know, people, George Reinhold. That is what it was, what used to be exciting about self, is that sure. they would take the person's count, Eileen Christian, for God's sake, and just, just really go to town with it. And that's what made self, one of the things that made self great. 
and people like Ray Liotta and Kevin Bacon. And, oh, yeah, and I was around for Ray Liotta. Oh, my God, Ray. Oh, I watched him grow up on Another World, and then I actually interviewed him when he was young. Oh, and, you know, whenever I see him now, he's my Ray. He was on the cover of my magazine, Afternoon <laughs> TV, and I am his, one of his greatest fans. But I got, he was really nice. I, I just really liked him so much. He was so vulnerable. You know, Paul Rouse discovered him on Another World. Sure. Paul Rouse found him when he was a kid in New Jersey. So a question that that I have been meaning to ask you for the three previous times that you've been here, and I've always forgotten. And you know, since we're since we're discussing Marlene's twentieth, it seems like a it seems like a perfect place to to uh, slip this in. An entire generation of Marlena fans are wondering what has become of Philippe Louvre. <laughs> Are you still in touch since he ran off to join the French Foreign Legion and, and married a girl who collects teacups? Yes. <laughs> I forgot about the teacups. <laughs> yes, yes, we're still friendly, and we still know each other, and we worked together for a long time. And, yes, we were just – actually, I just emailed him today about a mutual friend of ours. So we are still friends. Yeah, we've known each other for 35 years. You know, it was always great the way the way you would take people in your real life and give them gnomes de plume as well, and and kind of work them into your column. It was always it was always great to to hear about you know the people in in your life. Oh well, thank you. I was so kind of weird about it because I said, well, these these people, you know. But it was fun because when you write a, a weekly column, you need people to kind of like absolutely rebut pull- what you say. And my friend, my friend Philippe, who by the way made up the name Marlena de la Croix, which is I guess the story we could retell, but. Philippe, you know, is the kind of person that everybody had in their lives. He didn't like soap operas, and he uh-huh. would put them down, and we all have someone like that in our lives. Mm-hmm. So that's how I, I used to use him in the column, you know. He would, like, doubt everything I said and make fun of me. And I would say, oh, no, 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 that's so great. I love them. And, you know, he would always have some silly joke or whatever. And as I say, I think all of us, whether it's, you know, um, or, you know, our friends or our you know, our relatives will say, oh, you watch soap operas, they're stupid. And that's what Philippe was there for. Also, he was actually a real person, too. That, that's why he was there. And these days, he doesn't care. He still doesn't care about soap. <laughs> Although he was, a, he was a bold and beautiful convert for a short time. Yes, he, so. he was, yeah. because I was such a humongous, bold and beautiful fan in the beginning. <laughs> Are you still? I was until about maybe three years ago, and then I stopped for a while, and now I've kind of started to watch it again. But I was very lucky because I knew Bill Bell, and I was there the first day they taped it. And I just thought it was a wonderful show from the start, and I thought that column I did, I don't know if you read it, called Bold and Beautiful is a Camp Classic. Mm -hmm. That was one of my favorite columns because I discovered the Bold and the Beautiful (laughs) like seven months in because it it was like, wow, here's a soap that's so like, a classic soap, you know, because Bill Bell thought he was doing a classic soap, but it was so campy, <laughs> and he didn't know that, you know, and it was just wonderful to watch this thing that was just so straight and campy at the same time. You know, how could you look at Ron Moss's face in the back then <laughs> and say, oh, my God, he looks like he's out of a romance novel, <laughs> and he did, and by the way, I met Ron Moss after that, and he was a, he's a very nice guy. I interviewed him, and wow. I, you know, I met I met so many of the people on the show later on, and you know, they were great all people like gross. great people like Darlene Conley and uh, uh, Dan McVicker, and you know, all these great people who were so fantastic at at you know finding the humor in the in the uh, I don't know maybe dry storylines a little bit. Well, you know, to me, one of the most rewarding another rewarding thing that happened to me that's my favorite word today. 
I discovered I discovered Sally Spectra. Okay, Darlene Conley had been on other shows. She had been on on General Hospital, and um, but when she came on to Bold and Beautiful, there was like no one like her. She was just so funny and campy, and here she was, this little short, not terribly gorgeous person, and she was wonderful, and she was the perfect counterpoint to Susan Flannery. They seemed so wonderful. And so I, you know, wrote all the stuff about Sally Spectra because she wasn't like a regular, and they made her a regular. And then years later, I went to see a production of Grease. I think I told this on another one of your shows. And the leading man, Jeff, he played one of the Thorns. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Jeff, what was his last name? Jeff uh, uh, Tracta, I think. Tracta came yeah. out, and he said, "Oh, Sally Spectra loves you." <laughs> you know, and it was so great. And then years later, I actually did meet Darlene here in New York, and I interviewed her, and she was nothing like Sally Spectra. <laughs> she was just this consummate actress. Wow. And you know, I took a, I, remember I took a cab with her through the theater district, and she showed me all the different shows she had been in when she was a girl. And it was just thrilling to me. And you know, when she died, I was just so unhappy and upset. She was just a, a total original and a real pro. And you know, when they when they brought Kimberlyn Brown over, she was so hilariously retro that she just fit right in. Yeah, well, she had been on Young Y&R first, right? Yeah, yeah. She was kind of chilling, and, and you know that. Sheila was always really kind of scary. You wrote this 17 years ago, but with the explosion of online journalism, these words are as relevant and as prescient as they ever were back then. Uh, I quote you from July 21st, 1992. Marlena does the Emmys. Yes. <laughs> Just because we suddenly have more soap reporters, does that mean that we have better soap reporters? <laughs> soap fan press has, has ever been sycophantic in nature. Uh, we've always had to write about how great soaps are to balance the condescending attitude of the rest of the world. Right now, there are only four or five soap magazine writers who have the courage to write negative things about soaps. And they, or should I say we, are all viewed as eccentrics. <laughs> it's my fondest hope that all the new kids in the business will remember for the future that they are supposed to be independent-minded journalists, not paid fans. Oh, wow. Wasn't I outspoken? Well, you know, after Soap Up Weekly started, there were like a lot of co- mag- new magazines that copied it, and I think those were the people I was speaking about. And the word, the key word in there, of everything you just heard is journalist, because we were professionals, and, you know, when the Internet started, most of the people on the Internet are, as we call them in, in the field of journalists, citizen journalists. Anyone could write on the Internet, and anyone could be a writer. And I respect that, and I think there are some many, many sites that are fantastic, and I know a lot of the people who own the sites, but I really think that it's important that anyone who wants to be a serious writer learn about journalism because it's about balance and facts, not about gossip and, you know, know, bitching and moaning. Back in those days, though, it was different, though, because in those days, people always wrote good things about soaps, and we were the new kids on the block who wrote bad stuff, but we documented everything we said. Sure. If you go online now, and I respect the people online, they just say this one sucks, this one sucks, this one sucks, this one sucks. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's their right. But we had to say why and give examples because that's what journalism is. <clears throat> but it just takes experience and training, mm-hmm. I think, to, to, to write fairly about people. Even when you have an opinion, you still have to be fair. No, I'm serious. You know, if you say, well, someone is terrible, you have to say why, and you have to give a good example. You just, as I said, you just can't say blah, 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 stuff. Anyway. <laughs> so February 23rd, 1993 was the premiere of 
one of what what became a, a hallmark of critical condition, and that was twenty questions. How did how did that idea come to you, and and uh, what kind of response did it get that that very first twenty questions column? The point for twenty questions was that I was writing these long essays, and then like if I wanted to write something short, I would write something called postcards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I wanted to have, like, I would have, like, you know, there were so many shows there and so many different things that would happen every week that I just wanted a forum for, you know, making little short comments about people and things. And that's what happened with 20 Questions. And what happened over the years was, um, you know, I get kind of funny and snarky. And uh, he, I, I would run that whenever I had a lot of different things that I wanted to say about different things. And I, I know, like, I have a fan, one of my one of my friends, who said, oh, you know, when I saw that, I always just wanted to read a critique. But, you know, the whole key to Marlena was to vary the format every week, and that was one of the different things that I did. And I still do it. I still do it in my current blog now, just so I can make different comments about things. Absolutely. You know, for example, you know, wasn't somebody wearing a bad dress or, you know, wasn't, you know, why is this, why is this storyline not make any sense or that, that kind of thing. You know, anything that has a short answer. You know, who, who's the latest actress who looks very different than she used to look? <laughs> that that kind of thing, right? You, you know, isn't it amazing that they had Jackie Zeman on for one split second on General Hospital a couple weeks ago and didn't give her any lines? I mean, come on. That kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> May, May 18th, 1993, you believe what you want to believe. For us fervent soap fans, soaps can be a cruel mistress. Because they come into our homes day after day, making their characters appear to be real and their plot events seem especially lifelike. Soap operas ask us, ask us to accept them as being real life. Mm-hmm. Soaps hook us with that, and it's with that that they also keep us loyal over the long haul. But they simultaneously ask us to accept with grace the kind of plot unrealities back from the dead, growing up overnight, not tolerated in any other entertainment genre. Soaps plead with us to believe and not to believe, often at the same time. You said it, and I think you, you, you know, as a fervent soap watcher, then you've noticed it too, right? No question about it. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where we just kind of swallow it and go forward. You know, as I said, I think that over the years, because they were emotionally, you know, and the writers know this. They know how to, like, make it emotionally believable, even if it's crazy things like coming back from the dead. You know, like, everyone's come back from the dead. Stephanie's come back. Everyone's come back from the dead. But if you, you accept it emotionally, they give them enough time. You know, now things happen like on Young and Restless. I think I wrote a whole column about it where within two weeks, you know, Adam's kidnapped the baby and, and Eric Braden died. And, and, and all these things happen once. You said, that's ridiculous. I can't, you know, all of a sudden that, all of a sudden that kind of broke my trust in self because... It was no emotional, it wasn't played out in emotional time, it was just rushed, okay? You know, you have to, you choose what you want to believe, and, you know, the, you have to give the writers credit, and I, you know, I've talked to a lot of them about this, they know that a lot of the things that they use, like coming back from the dead, and the twin sister, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the crazy self-plots, they know they're crazy, so they make them emotionally believable, But and now they're not, I don't think, and and I think that's one of the reasons for that. You know, folks are not so great now. But in the old days, they knew how to take those crazy constructs and make them work. You know, I think one of the downfalls of, of soaps these days is that, you know, they've all been on for 40 years now. And all of these things have happened so many times. Like, I mean, for example, Vicky on One Life to Live, she's had, what, three or four husbands die and come back from the dead. When it, when it happens to her children now, she still has to sit there and, and act as though it's the most stunning thing she's ever heard of, even though it's happened to her herself four times. Oh, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. But the thing is, you know, when Vicky's husband came back from the dead, Erica Slayzak really acted it. 
Okay, she was fabulous, and it was well written, and you felt sure. her pain. And now when they come back from the dead, I mean, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of Brie Williamson, sorry, and I'm not a fan of Melissa Archer at all. So when it happens to them, I, th- I think Brie's done well, you know, with her dead husband. It's just not the same, you know, it's not the same. Also, in the old days, you would get a year between the dead husbands. Now you get like three months between the dead husbands. <laughs> and that's the difference. Yeah. It's not just the actress's abilities. It's that, you know, poor, poor Jessica. When was, when did Nash die? About a year ago? And now, uh, yeah, it was June of 08. Yeah. Right? And, and now there's no, there's no breathing room. It's just, it's so speeded up. I mean, who would get married that quickly? Who would, it just doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. They assume that. It's one of those conceits that you just have to swallow and go with, even though you know that it's happened to her. Well, if you think we have to swallow, how do you think Erica plays that feels? Exactly, exactly. But, you know, they just assume now, and they didn't do this in the old days, that people have just started watching yesterday. I think in the, like, 70s, 80s, 90s, they knew they had the long-term viewers, and they had respect for them, and now that doesn't happen very often. And I think that's one of the reasons people are really angry, because, you know, you feel a kinship with both. You remember it. It's like a family. You remember when things happen, and when they change the history. Or they, as you know, or, you know, they just gloss over something. You get really mad because you remember it. You were there. Exactly. How proud were you to be the first to latch on to trends and people and quality of shows? I mean, you know, as Marlena, you were the first to really kind of call attention to uh, Jim Riley's work on Days or what Claire Levine was doing on GH or Bold and Beautiful, as you mentioned. You know, you were the first to kind of call out the industry for uh, you know things like backlash when it came to the Emmys, and you know you were a notorious trend spotter. You you were the first to to really call our attention to a lot of these things. Well, that's and very nice of you, and I appreciate it very much because you know everyone claims all different things, but you know it was a thrill when I the, the one that I think of all the ones that you mentioned besides Bold and Beautiful was Claire Levine on on General Hospital because. It was such a notable difference. And also, uh, Claire, we knew Claire's work from Ryan's Hope. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I actually knew, I, I knew Claire, she lived on my block in Brooklyn, um, uh, in, in some of the Ryan's Hope years. I wasn't friendly with her until later. But it was just like, oh my god, this is amazing! And all of a sudden, you First of all, the idea of her coming back, uh-huh. in any capacity was, was amazing. And the fact right. that she was coming back to General Hospital of all of all shows. Of all shows, I know, yeah. because it was like this action adventure show. Exactly. And believe me, a lot of my Monty boys did not like it, the Claire Levine years at first. But I loved it. And, you know, all of a sudden you got to see, you know, the storyline with Bobby and and uh, Maxie and Maxie's heart. And Claire is a very, very sophisticated woman and writer, but she's also a real person who has a lot of faith and humor and you got all of a sudden you got to see that on general hospital and to me it was like wow but another reason that she could do that is because she had the right producer at the time who was wendy rich she couldn't do that with other producers as you know you know she had been on one life and she hated it and you know but they had the right combination you know it's like the right stars were lined up and it was great because i was in and i think won the emmy and they were like oh they were like smiling at me it was fabulous i mean they did it <laughs> you know i just noticed it but that was that was just so gratifying and you know i am not the only person in the world to love claire and i have seen her since then and she was on other shows and she was you know when she was deciding life she was very unhappy but that was just a shining moment in time sure yeah as you said it was the right producer it was the right network president right it was, it the, was right the right network, had, the right environment right they had all they had all women at abc then 
you know, that was just before the fall, but um, that was really a, a shining, shining moment. And I said there were a lot of people in the bitch to moan then, too. So, you know, it's never all in agreement. Especially these days. These days, yeah. But even then, you know, even the Luca Moore days, I have a friend that watched General Hospital from day one and he never liked Luca Moore, and everybody liked Luca Moore, so there are always all kinds <laughs> of opinions. But, you know, every once in a while, you know, you get something that's amazing, like Guiding Light in the early 90s, which everyone loved. So, you know, when or, it, when or Michael Malone's first run on One Life, which was... Well, I was the only one who didn't like that, but I have thoughts about that now, too, but... But you eventually came around. Uh, you want especially, to after what, especially after what came after him. Oh, yeah. What came after him was actually absolute horror, horror, you know, how they, you know, fried Nora's brain and... <laughs> You know, Jill, Jill had a, her reign of terror there. And so I, 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 you know, I, I seen, I saw Milton, uh, Michael like a year ago, to, uh, not a year ago, maybe about eight months ago at a book signing. And, you know, I will always think he is the greatest. And I love him, but I, 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 I've begun to think that some of my original thoughts on why that storyline was so disruptive might have been right, you know, at the time. Because, you know, a gang rape on daytime? That bothers me. And now all of a sudden, you know, all these years later, look at the violence, the violence, the violence. Now, he's, he's surrounded by gang rape and love and, and repentance because he, he was a good writer and a deeply religious man. But when they did the gang rape, when they did the rape on One Life to Live last year, you know, when Marty, conveniently, you know, when, when Todd fell with Marty and, mm-hmm. you know, and Marty conveniently had um, amnesia, come on! <laughs> What a bunch of garbage. And people, some people liked it. It was the most offensive thing I'd ever seen on soap. It was so offensive to women. But they, they did, they could not do that unless Michael had done that story on gang rape first. So, you know, you could like reevaluate your opinions over the years. Absolutely. So I want to warn you up front that this is going to be the longest question in the history of this show. Okay. And I want to ask you to bear with me while I set it up. Uh, I had your old buddy Michael Fairman in here a few weeks ago to, uh, discuss the gay wedding palooza on One Life. Right. And I asked him the same question that I'm getting ready to ask you. And, you know, I'll confess that I wasn't terribly satisfied with the answer he gave. He, he dodged the question a little bit. All right. And you've written about this in the past. And and uh, to my partner's amusement and, and, and slight chagrin, I spent the last several evenings pouring through old weeklies looking for this column. Okay. And I, I finally found it this morning, and I want to quote you from June 6, 1995, AIDS, Daytime's Evasive History. Until 1990, when Douglas Marlin introduced Daytime's first gay male character on As the World Turns, there had never been a gay man or anything acknowledging even the existence of gay men on daytime soaps. For too long, male homosexuality was totally outside the parameters of the medium. Soap operas are based on female romantic fantasies. Two men in love with each other obliterates that fantasy. As heterosexual romance-centered daytime soaps are aimed at an overwhelmingly female audience, gay men traditionally uh, have been considered superfluous. Now, the question I pose to Michael is this one. Is the sudden explosion of gay storylines across the dial a pretty tacit admission by the networks that soaps aren't just for women anymore? Because, you know, it, it seems pretty clear to me anyway that at least some of these shows are chasing whatever audience happens to be uh, to be available. And if that happens to be, you know, the homosexual crowd, say la vie. Well, first of all, I think people wanted to do gay storylines. Going back to the 70s, you know, that um, Barney Lemay wanted to do one with uh, Michael Randolph and he and she wouldn't let him. And when Doug did his storylines, he was only, uh, um, he could only do them up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, again, I don't know the exact dates where, you know, different taboos lifted, but for God's sake, 
gay men have and gay women have always been a huge, huge part of the soap audience. Huge. You know, most most people who I've worked with, most of gay most journalists I've worked with have been gay, and most Marlena, many, 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 most Marlena fans have been gay. So, you know, look how many people are overlooked over the years. Okay, and I think that a lot of the and I I've talked to writers about this too because their stories were always about love. Okay, so they would say, well, it didn't matter that they were women; men could identify with them too because love is a universal experience. And yes, it is. Okay, but on the other hand, the the gay male was never acknowledged because I think in mid America there was a great fear of it, and maybe to this day people think there still is. But I think that. All of entertainment has come a long way. You know, I remember when I saw the first movie, Making Love. Do you ever see that? With Harry Michael. Yes. (laughs) You know, and I mean, I've always had gay friends. I live in New York. You know, I'm in the entertainment industry. Sure. I think over the years, you know, it's begun to clear up. And I and thank God. But I think the folks were very behind because, again, they really did think that, you know, it was only a female audience. And but you know how long has it been? I mean, with how many years have folks been behind? I mean, you know, this could have happened 25 years ago, and it just happened in the last couple of years. You know, uh, what's funny about that is it, it was it was generally the folks that were the first I know. To, to break these taboos instead of the last, and so it's funny that that this one took so long to be broken. Well, I think it really is because you know they were convinced, and you know, yeah, and I still do believe that that women are still the majority in the audience, and that they, they, they thought that their audience was housewives, and you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't, they they were afraid, I think, and also, you know, there still was taboos, and there's not as many, and I think it took a lot of bravery. I know that you know the, the head writers wanted to do it, you know, I know that Doug. They all wanted to do it, but I know that Doug was very, very dedicated to it. And uh, anyway, that's my first half. You, I think you asked me about now, right? Uh, I'm just trying to give you a little history on on the the history of how this was in the past. You know, it was like, oh, everything is hate, hate, hate. It was like there was just so many different factors that played yeah. into it. Well, you know, I mean, uh, what you said was soap operas are based on female romantic fantasies, which I think is a very smart point. Uh-huh. Um, but you know what? How different are female romantic fantasies than everyone's romantic fantasies? You know, love is love. But, you know, in the old days, you know, now in certain places, hooray, men could get married. But, you know, that wasn't until the last couple of years. You know, society's changed a lot in the last couple of years, and it's still changing. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that it was so great they did the gay wedding, because they took a stance. You know, it was As the World Turns that had Luke and Noah, so they're the ones that, that really did start this. But... I think your question is about the gay audience. To me, it seems like that there is a pretty strongly gay subtext running through more than one of these soaps these days. And it it, it seems to me at least a a subconscious admission by the networks that soaps aren't necessarily just for women anymore. I mean, it, it seems like they're saying, okay, we're going to go after any audience that's available, no matter who they are. I think that um, the, the, the ABC soaps are trying to specialize in different things. I think General Hospital is getting more violent, and I think that, you know, uh, um, All My Children is moving to California, and I strongly suspect they're going to become Malibu Barbie. <laughs> I don't know. And, of course, you know, One Life to Live has, you know, with the, the, the Nick, and, and, and it's just not Kish, it's other, you know, characters, too. I think that they have been 
more out with gay characters. So I don't know, maybe, you know, I think that Sarah Bibble had noticed, had noted this one of her columns and, you know, I've, I've certainly suggested it in mine, you know, they're certainly acknowledging the gay audience. So maybe that's where they're going. I don't know, but it's hard because what are you going to do with 40 year old viewers like me? Now, I, it's fine with me. I just don't like when they bash women. But, you know, I love kids. As long as it's about love, I'll, 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 I'll be all for it. Absolutely. And, but you I'm, know, that, that's one of the few true love stories to be yeah. found anywhere on daytime these days. I'll say. I'll say. Definitely. And it's like one of the only romantic weddings I've seen in a long, long time. So, so uh, what, what's your take on One Life in general? What, I mean, when you watch that show, what, what do you think? Well, I watch it, you know, that's, that's, that's a big thing for me because I haven't been watching a lot, which is a lot. And yeah, I think that it's watchable, which it says a lot. Um, I think that they're trying a lot of things. I think that some things are good and some things are not so good, but I want to watch it. And I'm, I'm underlining that six times because <laughs> most of the other shows I don't want to watch. <laughs> but I have a lot of problems with a lot of the things that they do. You know, like, I really, really had been looking forward to Roscoe Bourne coming back because um, I've, I've seen Roscoe in his roles, and I actually met Roscoe um, years ago, the, the day that the O-Trade trial was over. We were all in Washington Square Park, and they were filming the beginning, of the, the opening sequence of The City, and I, oh, actually, wow. I actually got to spend about two hours with Roscoe. It was an amazing experience, and wow. he's nothing like anybody that he plays. <laughs> And I really couldn't wait for him to come back because I really think he's daytime's greatest villain ever because he scares the hell out of me, uh-huh. right? But I didn't expect him to play somebody who should be medicated and, and chained up. I mean, he's so over the top. It's like, you know, you can feel his spittle coming out of the screen. <laughs> I was shocked and so disappointed. <laughs> you know, that, that's my favorite soap, and, and I've, I've shouted that from the rooftops to anybody who will listen. I've watched that show for 21 years, and, you know, like you, I think it's I think it's vastly entertaining. It is, you, it's it's the one show you want to turn on every day and see what's happening. Right. But you know, having having seen that show at its best, with all the emotional and psychological layers, when you watch the show these days, there is there's not much of that. I mean, it's 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 very slickly produced. It's very it's very well written, but I don't know how smartly written it is. If that makes any sense. Well, you have to remember, we're, we're in a different time now. I mean, there were threats of cancellation, and everybody's just trying to survive, you know. I don't think you, you could expect layers. And, um, you know, they're just trying to survive. And, and this is all the soap, all the soap. You know, there have been rumors about One Life. I don't know how true it is. So you can't expect it to be what it was. But for, at least it's watchable. I mean, I think As the World Turns is watchable, too. But, you know, I just... You know, and I think that as the world turns, those it's traditionally better. They have better traditional actors, and the families are better, and 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 the characters, you know, are are are, are still at least they're related to each other, which are not always on one life. But I don't know. It's a bit. It's you can't compare it to days that we're used to. It's called desperate. Yes, I yes. They're but, you know, desperate. It, it still breaks your heart, though. It, 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 because when you sit here and you remember that show at its very best. Tell us all the shows, too. Yeah. yeah. You know, look at all my children, my favorite show of all time. <laughs> Unwatchable. Listen, are, are you heartbroken that Adam has murdered his twin brother? I mean, Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I lose, I lose my voice over that because <laughs> that is the, the craziest thing I have ever seen. I mean, I, that's, I've seen a lot of things that I say the craziest things, but 
my God, you know? <laughs> and But also, I think they might have done it because David Canary is a magnificent actor, and he could do that story, okay? He could do that. But as I wrote in my column, I did a seven-hour interview with David Canary for the um, American Archives of TV at the TV Academy at emmylegends.org, and he loved Stuart. He loved Stuart. And Adam and Stuart were always two sides of the same character, so for one to murder the other, oh, my God. <laughs> It's, I just, it's, it's like, you just, that's the whole thing about daytime now. Every day you put it on and they do things, it's like, how could they do this? <laughs> you know, how could Adam, how could Adam murder Stuart? How could, how could Michael, uh, shoot Claudia? I mean, how could, how could Lucky shoot Nicholas? I mean, oh my God, you just, I, it's just, you just cannot believe it. And it's not in a good way. I'm getting very emotional. <laughs> no, but, you know, I mean, what's funny to me is, you know, David always said that he based Stuart on the the reactions to the world of his of his son, who was that was uh, in my interview, by the way. That was you know, in my he, interview. He yeah, as a five or six year old child at the time. Right. And, you know, I mean, to say nothing of what Agnes must think of it, but don't you think that David is fuming, if only privately, over this? I, I don't know. He's, you know, I interviewed him. I only met him that one day, and you can see the interview is, by the way, it's online if anybody wants to watch it. And I don't know what his reaction is. I know he likes to work, and I really don't know what his reaction is. But he is a magnificent actor. To watch him in person was one of the great treats, because I never realized how great he was until I actually saw him on that set with terrible, terrible material. I think that was during the Megan years, I think. I'm not sure. And these terrible actors in the scenes with him, and he was brilliant, just brilliant. You know, and he is like so valuable, and believe me, um, Agnes, I think, knows what, what what she has had in David for years. She is Absolutely. just brilliant. You know, when when all is said and done on the All My Children story, I, I can't wait to to hear the candid interviews from people like Michael Knight and and David and Susan and you know. Well, how candid will they be? They want their jobs, don't well, they? But I mean, but I'm talking about when it's over. <laughs> When what's over? When 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 the when the book is closed on all my children. Oh, please don't say that. That breaks my heart. I, I mean, I love that show. I, I know you do. You know, I mean, I absolutely love I mean, that. It was show. it was your contention at one time that that all my children was the greatest soap on the air, and and you. And it was. Yeah, it definitely was. It definitely was. And it breaks my heart. What could I say? By the way, I am the first person to catch Megan McTavish at both her shows. So. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on the on the Eric Braden situation? I knew he would come back because he what's that show without Eric Braden? And you know, I I think that uh, you know I, there's very few people that are indispensable, and he's indispensable. Like David Canary is indispensable, I, and Deirdre Hall. I don't know how they're getting along without her either. But I knew he would come back. They could not let him go. He's the entire show. I mean, the entire show. No, he's, literally... not, the, no, he's not the entire show. But well, he's the linchpin of the families on the show. <laughs> it's it's pretty damn close, Connie. I, I mean, no, I was never a Victor Victor fan. <laughs> I know, I know, but the way they constructed that entire show, I mean, most of the storylines kind of feed back into his orbit. Right. Exactly. You know, when when the initial news broke that he was leaving, weren't you immediately reminded of? of Beverly bolting from Guiding Audio in 1992 when the entire show revolved around her, basically? Um, <laughs> Beverly, I think, it was a little different because I don't know if the entire show 
revolved around her. Our entire attention revolved around her because she was <laughs> she was Beverly, but she wasn't the linchpin of all the families. Uh, um, you know the way that that Eric Braden's character was. Yeah. You know, and also it was different because now you know everybody's getting their 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 uh, salaries cut, and and a lot of people have agreed to it. And back then she did it because she personally wanted to leave, so it was different. It was still shocking, though, really shocking and upsetting. And I got to interview her years later. I was so excited. <laughs> did you Did you think it was weird at all that that Paul was strangely silent on this on this whole Eric Braden thing? I you mean, know, I have you never saw you never saw any comments from him at all about this. Well, the whole thing was odd. I think I wrote about that because in the older days, you know, if this was real journalism, the way that it used to be done, you'd get comments from everyone. You get sure. a comment from Paul. You get a comment from the network. You get a comment from the producer. And now nobody gets comments from anyone, and I think that has to do with the the network and the publicists and the writers, and uh, that's why I think you didn't see anything from him. Or you know, it was the whole story was covered in a very odd way. And also, Eric Braden, I knew I know his publicist. I knew her 25 years ago, and she is very very active. <laughs> And I was sick of reading his, you know, I, I've interviewed him. He's a brilliant guy to interview. But, I mean, how many how many places could he complain, for God's sake? <laughs> exclusively. At right, that. exclusively. <laughs> I, I knew he would be back. I think if you look at my column, I actually wrote it, too, in one of the answers <laughs> to one of my questions. Have you been watching Jonathan Jackson's return to, to GH? Oh, definitely. As a matter of fact, he was what got me to watch again, and he's just astounding. Uh, he's just an astounding actor. He just takes my breath away. You know, he is like a, you know, like a James Dean of Brando. But the thing is, he's in the wrong time because he's very, you know, instead of being, you know, Mr., you know, Mr. Action-Adventure guy, he's Mr. Heart and Mr. Soul. And I don't think there's a lot of call for that in movies these days. So I think General Hospital is very lucky to get him back. Ha ha. Lucky to get him back. So I just think he's an, he's amazing, you know. And we watched him grow up. I mean, what more could you ask for? You know, it, it was it was entirely and thoroughly classless the way ABC did it. But of course, it know, worse than that. We can't even say a word for what they did. <laughs> but you know, you watch him on screen that first day, and you get it immediately. I mean, it's just instantaneous. Right. But the thing is, he's so different than the rest of the show. He's sensitive. <laughs> he's feeling. He's 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 not a mur- you know. And all of a sudden, they make him murder his brother. I mean. <laughs> I mean, every day something happens that, that just flips me out, you know. You know, it's, just, it, it's very hard to imagine this lucky as a cop, even. I mean, it's... But you know what? I saw him in an interrogation scene, and I thought he was fine, you know? I thought he was fine. He is, you know, Tony Geary, you know, I'm sure he's done a lot of other acting since General Hospital, but you could see so much of a, of what Tony Geary could teach him when he was a kid. And Jeannie Francis. Sure. And they better bring Jeannie Francis back, or else... <laughs> They need her. She is the heart of the show. And a heartless show, she is the heart. You know, you watch that show sometimes and, and, and you, you, there's, it's clearly, there's, it's clear that there's a void that she could fill in a, in a heartbeat. Well, I think that there are, again, a lot of extraneous circumstances. I don't know them firsthand because I haven't been reporting for a long time, but, I don't know. I, I, you know, I want to see me back, but this is a situation. I think that they're really, I think what they're going to do now is, is that all of a sudden they're going to make Jason 
you know, uh, see that he was wrong all along and everybody's going to go, oh, Hal Guza, isn't he wonderful? And all the critics are going to go, oh, Hal Guza. But give me a break. You know, Jason and Sonny killed people for 12 years. And I think it's because Guza wants some love and he's not getting any from me ever. <laughs> and they're going to hoodwink a lot of people. You'll see. I'm really angry. And, you know, I'm really angry, really angry. And what do you think of this upcoming James Franco thing? Who knows? You know, they've been so mysterious about it, don't you think? You know, it's, it's, they have been, but, you know, that's, in a way, that's kind of classic soap. I mean. No, it isn't. Hey, look, they got a, an interview with Jill on the cover of the Wall Street Journal. They would never get that. You know, and also I had a thought in the middle of the night last night. I thought about you, Brandon, when I thought about this. And this is my exclusive prediction. Oh, my. Okay. Nobody knows why James Franco is coming out to General Hospital, right? There's been lots of speculation that. I bet he wants to do a movie. Yeah, but nobody knows the story. Nobody knows. The no movie. one knows. I don't know, but I have, I have, I have a guess. This is my guess. My guess is that James, James Franco wants to buy General Hospital. <laughs> I mean, you know, I would think ABC would want to get these shows off their hands. <laughs> I, I know. Think about it. And then he could bring all his friends on. And no, but seriously, what is he doing that show for? No one knows. All I know is that I have a very wonderful student in my class, and um, she came over to me, and I didn't know she would ever watch soap operas with Long General Hospital. And she said, when is James Franco going to be on? <laughs> so they're getting what they want, which is attention. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. On the flip side, you know, all this advertising for him. Yeah, he's a movie star. But, like, you know, what about, how, do, how about people who have been on the show for 30 years? How do they feel to have starring James Franco? Sure. You know, they didn't have, you know, starring Tony Geary. The only person who's ever starred on a show is Beverly McKenzie, and that's because it was a deal. And, you know, when you have when you have that show's executive producer saying things like, we're so thrilled to bring an actor of, of James Franco's caliber to this show. What an insult to the to You know, the it, it, does make, it does make you wonder what people like Tony Geary and, and you know, Maurice and, and uh, Leslie Charlson and people who can act and are of James Franco's caliber, uh, what they think of, of phrases like that. <laughs> I told you, it's desperate. It's, it's desperate and rude, I think. <laughs> but, you know, they do, they are going to get a lot of people to watch. But, you know, as I said, all cats are off these days. But I, I, there's a lot of rudeness. But I have to say something. I think James Franco is an amazing, you know, I just think he's incredible. And I thought that since he played James Dean in the TV bio pick maybe like three or four years ago. So, you know, I'm not a James Franco fan come lately. But what's he going to do? I think that's going to be the test. You know, what are they going to write for him that, that is that is up to his caliber? I have no idea. I mean, he's played kind of crazy. You know, he's had comical roles too you know he how 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 can he get up to his level in only you know, a month's worth of appearance and also how could they write some things that will you know might overshadow the stars it's really a, a time it's like a time bomb boom it's going to go off but they'll get their ratings which is what they want plus so, he's good looking <laughs> no question about it i mean right that's like a soap star so they're getting the whole package so <laughs> Did you ever regret anything that you wrote as Marlena? Oh, lots, lots, lots. You had, you had some pretty strong-held opinions that you were not shy about expressing. And, you know, I'm wondering if, if later upon reflection there was anything that you wish you could take back. Well, yes, because, you know, I used to fire from the hip and there was nobody else 
out there who was saying anything, so I was pretty much out on my own. But I remember once I wrote, and when I think when Julie Timpson was on Port Charles, I wish she couldn't ask. And I remember a friend of mine who worked at ABC called me and said, how could you do that? But that was a friend. And now you watch her and I said, well, turns and she's amazing. Uh-huh. I really regret that. And, oh, there are lots and lots of things I regret writing, definitely. You know, I, you know, I just, I wrote, yeah, you know, I, I was not above getting into personal little fights with one or two people. And, you know, there are a lot of things. But, you know, that was 542 columns. That's a lot of writing. Absolutely. And, you know, as you said many times, it was kind of the the blessing and the curse of the situation was that you had an editor who was willing to go to bat for you every single time. It was never the curse. It was always a blessing. It was always a blessing because, you know, what we were saying was really radical for those days. And we had enemies, too. You know, we had enemies. We certainly did. I wasn't really aware of it that much at the time. I never thought anybody could be stupid enough in the soap industry to be enemies of a soap magazine. But it happens, <laughs> you know, and, and it's just, you know, things that you don't even want to think about because it was just really stupid. <laughs> there, were a lot of je- there was a lot of jealousy. There was a lot of, well, you know, a lot of the producers were angry because they didn't think Soap Opera Magazine should criticize soaps. And, you know, there was an underside, but we had a great time. <laughs> you know, when you when you look back on 20 years of writing about and thinking critically about soaps, what are you proudest of? Well, it's more than 20 years because, you know, I have my the column, you know, as I said, has been online for the last three. So it's more than, it's like 23 years. And I was actually in the industry 10 years before that, too. But I think what I'm the proudest of is um, thinking, you know, I guess like bonding with fans because, you know, everybody always talks about stars and writers and producers, and I've known them. But the fun thing about Marlena was it reached out to other viewers to share the experience of folks. Sure. And I think that I try to, and do try to, to teach them how to think and to appreciate and not just to react. And I think that's what I'm the proudest of. That's why we call it soap opera. That's why the new column is called Soap Opera for the Thinking Fans. The thinking Fans, yeah. You know, your your column was widely read within the industry, and, and I'll assume that your website is as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine it's not. And it is, yeah. You had the attention and the respect of, of no less titanic talents than, as you said, Agnes and Doug Marland. Uh, Jim Riley, Michael Malone, with your words and thoughts, were you able to affect any change even a little bit? What kind of change? Like, you mean in terms of better stories? Yeah, or? In, in terms of what we saw on the air, were, were you able just by your... That's kind of grandiose. Um, just by the platform that you had? I think so, in a way. You know, I think that... Uh, I don't know. I think that if you read Jill's interview in the Wall Street Journal, she said, oh, we don't listen to what the fans say. Usually if they protest, that means they want it. And that's baloney. You know, I'm sorry, Jill. That's baloney. I respect you, Jill. I've known you for, you know, whatever. I don't, whatever. But um, I think so. I think that maybe when the magazine was big. Right now, you know, I'm trying to get them aware to stop bashing women so much. And and I and I just hope that that comes to fruition and to respect of that. But I think to me the big thing right now is stop bashing women. But you know, individually, have I have I influenced any storylines? <laughs> I don't know. I doubt it. Um, there was a character that was named after me on a show <laughs> on Passion, so that was fun. <laughs> you know, clearly you you. 
you are a pioneer. I mean, you know, look no further than any of the of the myriad soap blogs that have popped up in the past couple of years, and and look at great people like Sarah Babel, and and you can see the the uh, the Marlena influence still shining brightly. Uh, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you feel like a pioneer. Are you are you patient with that assessment? Well, first of all, yeah. Well, yeah, I think I was a pioneer. I think that John Michael Reed actually just started, but I think I really made it the biggest. And and you know, it's great. You know, I read a lot of people's blogs, but it's not just the popular ones. A lot of fans have blogs, and I'm glad that a lot of people think. I really do. And 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 that's great. This doesn't stop me from getting angry when I see offenses of of of, of how it's done too. But. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad I did it, and you know, uh, and thank you very much, Brandon, and people who have written to me over the years for recognizing that it means a tremendous amount to me. Listen, I think you were fabulous, and you know, I, you know, even at the time, but but you know, going back and rereading the old columns, and you know, I, I think about, I think about all the different ways that you impelled me to think about what I was watching in in ways that I hadn't before I read you. Uh, I, you know, I think you provided an invaluable service to literally millions of soap fans across the country, across the world. Oh, well, thank you. But you know what? I still have plenty to go, <laughs> and I still have many things to write about and many things to innovate. So, you know, that's, that's what's fun about this is that, you know, I there's it's still a lot to, to do, I think, and to that's write exactly about. That's exactly what so, I was going to ask you. I was, yeah. was going to say, you know, what's on the horizon for Marlena? Does she have another 20 years left in her? How old am I? No, I, um, I, I probably. I, I, I plan to write out more about soap. I, I, you know, I can't, I don't want to, you know, I plan to do more, especially now, because look what's going on. I mean, it's so scary. And, I mean, if there's, this is comes a day when I can't watch, right, or I, I can only watch a couple, that's really horrible. I mean, it's so heartbreaking in a way. Somebody said, oh, are you upset? And the answer is yes. But on the other hand, you know, it's a time to reassess, too, to, you know, to reassess and to talk, you know, to talk to people in the industry. And it's just a, a big time of change. And it's scary to me because I've watched them for so long and they've been such a big part of my life, a huge part of my life. No question. I tell you what, I think we need we need Marlena and we need you now more than ever. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> you're so sweet, Brandon. And I have to say one thing. I really appreciate the respect and the affection that you've given me and the fans too. Because as I said, you know, writing is about, it's not about just bitching and moaning. It's about thinking and it's about thinking about who came before you. And um, thank you so much for doing this show and marking the anniversary, not just of myself, but for everyone at Soap Opera Weekly, a great staff, Mimi, Freeman, so many people worked on that magazine when I was there, and I really appreciate the fact that, that you're commemorating that. You know, I, I have a complete collection of that magazine, and I love pulling them down and looking through them. And, you know, what you guys pulled off was, was miraculous then, and, and considering what's come after, even more so now. <laughs> well, it was a great time. And, you know, I think that, you know, we... Um, you know, we just had a great time, and 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 yeah, you know, it's it's wonderful if you get to do something like that in your career. And I've done other things. I love teaching, but that was really as you know a wonderful time for all of us. And I just wish that you know people who are younger in the industry and people who are writing could could have the opportunity to do stuff like that and the creativity. 
and 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 really the you know the the felicity we were friendly it wasn't nasty it wasn't fifty Absolutely. yeah well, except when <laughs> <laughs> that guy used to fax me all the time like why don't you write about me and it happened it really did it really did <laughs> Well, I tell you what, I've had such a thrill talking to you, and, and uh, as always, you are welcome here anytime to discuss anything. Yes, thank you. And thanks, everybody, who um, who tuned in tonight and also who looks at my column that commemorates this at MarlenaDeLaCroix.com. Absolutely. Okay, we'll speak again soon. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. The fabulous Connie Pasolacqua-Hayman, everybody, Marlena Delacroix herself on Brandon's Buzz. Brandon's Buzz in the can for November eighteenth, two 2009. Uh, coming back next week, next Tuesday night, November 24th, a great chat with a great singer by the name of Susie Boggess. Uh, in the 90s, you know her from hits like Outbound Plane and uh, Letting Go and Drive South. She is absolutely fabulous, and she's coming by the buzz to talk all about her amazing career and her current projects. That's Tuesday night, November 24th, with the amazing Susie Boggess right here on Brandon's Buzz. Uh, quickly, you can find Brandon's Buzz in a variety, in, in a, in a variety of outposts. Uh, the easiest place, the best place to go is blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. From there, you can listen to the show. You can download old shows. You can listen to old shows. You can see what's coming up on the show. You can leave comments. You can send emails. It's kind of mission control for Brandon's Buzz. Uh, it's blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. You can also go to my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. There, at the top of the page, click the blue button, the blue button, the blue button that says radio. Uh, and that will take you to a page where there is a complete archive of all my shows. Uh, I've had 43 previous shows. This is number 44. This will be up later tonight or tomorrow. Um, and, you know, you can, see, you can see them listed by date. You can click on each date, and that will take you to a page where you can see the great banners that my pal Joanne makes to help me advertise the show, and you can listen to the corresponding show uh, just clicking on the, on, the, on the digital widget at the top of the page there. Uh, that's at brandbuzz.com, my blog. Uh, you can also find me at iTunes. I'm on iTunes, guys. Just type in Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Uh, scroll down to the podcast section. Click on my logo. From there, you can download individual old shows as podcasts and listen to them on the device of your choosing. Or you can subscribe to the show and have new episodes automatically download to your library the minute they're uploaded to the Music Store. Uh, so that's at iTunes. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I am all over the Internet. There is no excuse not to be able to find me. Uh, just Google the words Brandon's Buzz, and something will pop up that points you in my direction. And uh, I appreciate you coming in my direction. I appreciate you finding me. I appreciate you listening to me. I hope you continue listening to me and listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind. So spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This is Claire Massey from Tammy Show. And you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy. Great show. Check hey it out. Hey, guys. This is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi. This is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it. Baby, when you live on a street of dreams. Hey, this is Mia Peoples, and you're with Brandon Buzz. 
place to be. Hi, everybody. This is Nicholas Walker. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt.